0: Lift up your hearts. We greet you as you join with us today in worship here at Marsh Chapel, whether you are here in the nave at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, or listening over airwaves at WBUR 90.9 FM across New England, or over internet signals at WBUR.org. We are glad you have come to join us. My name is Brother Larry Whitney, and I have the privilege to be among you as preacher and celebrant this morning. Our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is away in these weeks, and we look forward to welcoming him back toward the end of August. And we would note this morning that our organ is undergoing some minor repairs, and so our hymns and service music will be offered from the piano this morning. Prayers for a quick recovery for the organ are much appreciated. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Come. Let us pray. Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church, and because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
1: A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 2-4 through and 9-15. through The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out to this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instructions or not. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites. They looked toward the wilderness, and and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter four, verses one through 16. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There was one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same who who ascended far from above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ." Thanks be to God.
3: And now please join me in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 78 with the antiphon. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Mortals ate of the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens. And by his power, he let out the south wind. He rained flesh upon them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall within their camp. All around their dwellings. And they ate and were fulfilled, for he gave them what they craved. And now please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel lesson.
0: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. Glory to you, O Lord. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Have you heard? The world is ending. It's very exciting. Fires. Floods, hail, earthquakes, wars, all manner of natural and human-made destruction. At least, this is what most readily comes to mind when the language of apocalypse is invoked in our late modern context. It is a bit distant from the Greek definition of apocalypse as something hidden being made manifest or revealed, which is far tamer, really. Interestingly, in the biblical witness, it is not the fires and floods and hail and earthquakes and wars that in themselves constitute the apocalypse, but rather they are signs pointing to what will imminently be revealed. Biblical apocalyptic vision arose in continuity with the prophetic vision of Israel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea, and all the rest spent half their careers warning of all the bad things that would happen to the Israelites if they did not repent and return to right relationship with Yahweh, and then they spent the second half of their careers warning that the nations of the world would come to naught if they failed to recognize Yahweh and the chosen people Israel. There are at times glimmers of more positive prospects in the prophetic witness of what good things will come upon turning back to Yahweh. Apocalyptic follows in this pattern of warning of dire times ahead, after which a new, just, righteous age will follow. Occasionally, as I'm returning to the chapel from hither and yon on campus, I encounter an apocalyptic preacher on the sidewalk along Commonwealth Avenue in front of Marsh Plaza. These preachers usually have a great deal to say about how tragic, unfortunate, and painful events in our world are signs of God's judgment upon society for all manner of evils. They have a constitutionally protected right to freely speak their views on a public sidewalk. Just as I have a constitutionally protected right to think them wrong. I have two problems with contemporary apocalyptic preachers. The first is that the social and cultural evils that these preachers are decrying are the very same socio cultural changes that I take to be achievements over prejudice, violence, and inhumanity. Gay marriage and a woman's right to control her own body often top their and my lists. Apart from our contrasting ethical visions, however, my second problem with the contemporary apocalyptic preachers I encounter is that they almost never provide the second half of the apocalyptic vision. There is much talk of judgment, damnation, and destruction— But no talk of the new order to be ushered in in place of the judged, damned, and destroyed old one. While biblical apocalyptic can be considered good news as it offers the promise of a better tomorrow, in spite of the toil and tribulation of today, contemporary apocalyptic seems to offer nothing but toil and tribulation, which is nothing more than bad news. One of the things that differentiates the apocalyptic worldview in the Bible from the prophetic view is that in the prophetic view, it is still possible for humans to self-correct. While in the apocalyptic view, humanity has passed the tipping point. The prophets were constantly adjuring Israel to repent and return to Yahweh. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. It is actually not the case that apocalyptic figures and writers were actually, actually thought things were worse in their societies than prophetic figures did. Rather, the prophetic figures felt that the leaders of their society still had enough control over the society to bring about changes that would return Israel to Yahweh. Apocalyptic figures, by contrast, felt entirely out of control. This largely had to do with the fact that they were living under the occupation of the Roman Empire. Even if Israel wanted to go in a different direction and become more godly, they could not because they did not have any control over their own destinies. Thus it is that since humans are unable to rectify the situation, only God can step in and fix things. Only God can overturn the present order and usher in a new order of peace, prosperity, and right relationship with God. Thus say the apocalypticists. This feeling of being out of control marks the apocalyptic view in our contemporary context as well. Karen Armstrong, an independent scholar of religion, spoke at Ithaca College during my freshman year there in October of 2001. She was extraordinarily helpful in interpreting the events of September 11th of that year in terms of the fundamentalist mindset that inspired and motivated that day of death and destruction. Her book, The Battle for God, explores how fundamentalisms across religious traditions are responses by religious people to a loss of control brought about by the apparently secularizing forces and assumptions of modernity. These religious people then follow their fight-or-flight instinct. And those who follow the fight path often understand themselves to be instruments of God in writing the world. Certainly, there is a great deal more to religious fundamentalism than an apocalyptic worldview, and not all people with apocalyptic worldviews are religious fundamentalists. However, the feeling of having lost control that drives the modern rejection of modernity that is fundamentalism is the same feeling of having lost control that inspired the apocalyptic texts of the Bible. One of the challenges in responding to apocalyptic texts, apocalyptic preachers, and fundamentalists is that the view that the world has gone to hell in a handbasket and there is nothing to be done about it but wait for God to set it right Can feel very foreign. I wonder, however, if we might not be a bit too quick to abide in the feeling of otherness, perhaps as a strategy for not having to face how familiar the apocalyptic view might be. Perhaps I am the oddball out, and perhaps none of you have ever felt like things had gotten totally out of control. Life in ministry, I have discovered, provides frequent exposure to the feeling and experience of things being totally out of control. Ministry also provides ample opportunity to see how, if people would simply make this, that, or the other decision and act on it, as opposed to the one they did decide on and act upon, things would have gone so much better. I confess, I have at times found myself daydreaming about how things might have gone had someone wiser been in charge. Is this really so much different than the apocalyptic vision? Not really. After all, the apocalyptic vision is very much an imagination that things do go better when someone of infinite wisdom, namely God, is in charge. On the other hand, my imagination of how things might have been better inspires me to decide and act more wisely. This is to say that I learn something from watching how the decisions and actions I and others take work out. I also learn something from the imaginings of how things might have gone. At the end of the day, however, my imaginings remain in the subjunctive mood of what might have been or of what might yet become. This is in stark contrast to the way in which the apocalyptic imagination of what might be inspires fundamentalist decision-making in action. The fundamentalist is so inspired by the apocalyptic imagination that she or he attempts to impress the subjunctive mood of what might become into the indicative mood of what actually is. The work we do together here in this space, week by week, in gathering together in worship is very much a subjunctive imagining of what life might be like if God were in charge. The readings, prayers, sermon, music, and sacrament of the liturgy reveal to us the ways in which we ought to live in the ideal world of God's realm. Live justly, walk humbly, confess your shortcomings, forgive one another, Rejoice in joy, weep in lamentation, and break bread with one another. Of course, life in the world is not nearly so ideal. Justice is ambiguous. Humility is mistaken for weakness. Confession leads to judgment without forgiveness. The joy of one is the sorrow of another. Those we break bread with may stab us in the back. We learn from these experiences, as well as the imagination we return to, week by week, of what would be better. Furthermore, our worship practice provides a safeguard from thinking that we should attempt to impose the subjunctive mood of worship on the indicative mood of life. That safeguard is the strangeness of the liturgy. The clergy wear funny robes, there's stained glass in the window, and the pews have no cushions. These things, and many others, provide a sense of strangeness to remind us that, while much of what we experience here may point to a better way of being, in the end, a worship service is not life. That better way of being exists apart from the day-to-day walk of life. The better vision informs life and so transforms our lives by reminding us that life is not always and necessarily out of control. The ongoing work of transformation by information indicates that at every moment of our lives, the world is ending and is beginning anew out of what was, and what might yet be. Thanks be to God. Amen.
4: My name is Rachel Cape, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Marsh Chapel this morning. We hope that you'll take a minute to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help one another get to know each other better. This week we'd like to congratulate two of our graduated students, Emma Kerr-Carpenter and Rebecca Phillips, for being commissioned as Methodist ministers last Friday—missionaries, I'm sorry—missionaries last Friday. I would also like to congratulate Elizabeth Fonby Hall and her husband Brian for the birth of their son, Caleb Blake Hall, on July 20th. For communion this morning, wine will be on the pulpit side with juice on the lectern side. For all their upcoming services and activities, we encourage you to keep an eye on the chapel website, www.bu.edu chapel, where you'll also find the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loved us in offering and sacrifice to God.
0: bless these gifts and those who have given them to the work of ministry in this place and throughout the world. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare to celebrate the presence of Christ in the sacrament, let us call to mind and confess our sins. Father eternal, giver of light and grace, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in what we have thought, in what we have said and done through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have wounded your love and marred your image in us. We are sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with heartfelt repentance and true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and forgive you for all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. May the God of peace make you perfect and holy, that you may be kept safe and blameless in spirit, soul, and body for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let us share with one another a sign of peace. Wise and gracious God, you spread a table before us. Nourish your people with the word of life and the bread of heaven. Amen. The Lord be with you. you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, to give you thanks, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. From sunrise to sunset, this, holy, this day is holy. For Christ has risen from the tomb and scattered the darkness of death with light that will not fade. This day the risen Lord walks with your gathered people, unfolds for us your word, and makes himself known in the breaking of the bread. And though the night will overtake this day, you summon us to live in endless light, the never-ceasing Sabbath of the Lord. And so with choirs of angels and with all the company of the heavenly host— we proclaim your glory and join their unending song of praise. of all holiness, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit and according to your holy will, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it unto them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. Send the Holy Spirit on your people and gather all into your realm all who share this one bread and one cup, so that we in the company of all the saints may praise and glorify you forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. By whom, with whom, and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Blessed are those who are called to his supper. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Come, for all things are now ready. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all peoples. Amen. Dear friends, as we live our lives every moment at the end of the world and the start of a new one, let us remember that life is short and we do not have too much time to gladden the hearts of those who walk the way with us. So be swift to love and make haste to be kind. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit abide and remain with you now and always. Amen. Amen.